Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's hard to follow a worship song like that, but we do have the word of the Lord, so we'll rely on that if that's okay with you. Tonight I want to talk about kings. Kings and kingdoms. You know, uh, they're kind of, as I was talking with my son Micah earlier this week, like grass. Scripture teaches this. Grass fades in the wintertime. It comes back in the spring. And it fades again in the wintertime. And kings and kingdoms are like this as well. They come and they go. Those in power and authority over you and I come and go as well. You know, in America, we have a little bit different system than kings and kingdoms. But still, our power and authority comes and it goes. Right now, one is on its way out and another one is on its way in. And we know that without a doubt, every three years, we will ramp it back up. The parties will choose their candidates, whether they have 29,214 to choose from, like the Republicans do right now, or just two or three to choose from. They'll choose their candidates, they'll put them in the race, and the authority in America will be changed. But power and authority has checks and balances, right? Here in America, that would be the checks, that would be a a big part of the check and balance system. We, the people, choose who's going to be an authority over us. In other countries, the Senate or the Parliament may choose who will be an authority over the group of people. In the days of Jesus, kings were born into power or appointed by other kings. You see, there wasn't much different about Jesus' day than ours when it comes to the coming and the going of power. In Judea, which is the region Jesus was born into, around 4 AD, kings lasted longer than four or eight years usually, but politics are politics, even 2,000 years ago. And we certainly in America do not have a monopoly on drama in the political realm. Herod the Great was the king over Judea during the time Jesus was born. 
you may recognize that name because you probably have learned about Herod the Great at some point. He was, by some estimates, one of the greatest building kings of all time in the world's history. His building campaigns were huge. He built buildings not only in Jerusalem, which was the capital of his region, but all over the land. He dug deep ports in the cities that were on the coast so that the Roman, the Roman rule could get resources in and out to his community. Herod, though, like the, peop- the people in authority of our day, enjoyed drama a little bit. He didn't just inherit his kingdom. He fought for it. Now, his fighting looks a little bit different than Donald Trump's or Barack Obama's. His fighting was more like real fighting. (laughs) Like, get in the chariots, and we're going to take that land, come hell or high water. And sometimes, he lost. But, as we're going to see later today, uh, in just a few minutes, the Roman head of state at the time, Caesar Augustus, saw that Herod the Great was loyal to him. You know, like I said before, everybody has bosses, right? In America, I guess the president's boss is probably the people because we can fire him. In those days, (laughs) some of you are going like this. (laughs) In those days, Herod had a boss too, and his name was Caesar Augustus. But Caesar didn't want to fire him because Herod was loyal to the Roman government. So Rome was over all of the land that Herod was king. He reported to Caesar. And the way that he won so much favor to gain more and more land to build buildings on was by being loyal to the king. He was loyal to the king even up against Cleopatra, who you may recognize, the last living pharaoh of Egypt. So these are the days that Jesus is coming on the scene. These days that you've read about in your history books with Cleopatra and Caesar Augustus and Herod the Great, These are some of the people that are in power around the time of the turn from B.C. to A.D. when Christ is born onto the scene. Herod had been appointed king of the Jews, but this was not so much a religious appointment as much as it was a political one. He was appointed the king of the Jews because Augustus wanted someone to rule this land and get some resources out of it and above all, be loyal to Rome. Jesus said it in the Gospels. Caesar Augustus Augustus wanted a king who would make sure that the Jews gave to Caesar what is Caesar's. And Herod the Great did a good job of that. But Herod the Great, whether imagined or real, felt threats from other powers and authorities. In fact, just before Jesus stepped onto the scene, Herod had murdered two of his own sons and his mother because he feared insurrection. He was terrified that his power was going to leave. Herod the Great had a problem He knew that his kingdom would fade. This begs the question then, with our big idea today, if Jesus is the king of kings, and I've just told you for five minutes that all kings and kingdoms fade away, 
how is Jesus' kingdom and kingship any different than Herod the Great's, Caesar Augustus's, or the President of the United States? Well, I'm not going to fully answer that tonight, so don't, don't worry. That's a big question. But over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to be discovering here in Advent. So usually we're talking about this birth narrative. This year we're taking a different look at it. We're seeing who is this king who is being born? Who do people say that he is? Who does God say that he is? And who does he say that he is? Over the next several weeks, this is what we're going to be looking at as we explore the characteristics of Christ. And tonight we begin by learning from scriptures that Christ is not just any king. He's not a ruler to be replaced by another in a few years or a few decades. His throne actually is never in jeopardy. And his people need not ever worry themselves with the cares of this world because Jesus is the king of kings and of his kingdom, like Whitney just read, there will be no end because his kingdom is not of this world. So let's look to the New Testament book of Matthew and discover how Jesus became known as the King of Kings. Matthew chapter 2, this is one of the accounts, the four classical accounts of the birth of Jesus. And listen to what happens after Jesus is born. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, this is before that he got the name Herod the Great, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. God appoints a star in the sky to mark the occasion of Jesus' birth. I think today we have something like a Facebook status and maybe an Instagram photo to announce the birth. Some people might still do it the old-fashioned way. We have a few pregnant ladies in the audience tonight. Maybe they'll do it the old-fashioned way and send out a birth announcement, a real paper birth announcement people can put on the refrigerator. But God did it big. He appointed a star in the heavens to mark the birth of Jesus. This star is noticed then by wise men. These are Persians, most likely. They were from the east, and it's possible even that they were from Babylon, which would explain why they knew to be looking for a star that might be coming to signify the Messiah's birth. Because several hundred years before Jesus' birth, the people of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians, and many of them resided in Babylon for generations. So they most certainly would have left and taught some of their texts to some people there. And here they are, these wise men. Some translations say astrologers, these men who were looking to the stars for a sign. They immediately recognize this star as something significant. They recognize this, that God is using his power over creation to announce Jesus 
as the king of kings. If you're taking notes on the back of your worship folder, that's number one, is that God is using his power here to announce Jesus as king. This is the first opportunity, too, for the religious leaders who live in Jerusalem, right? So this, this herald comes in to the city announcing the Messiah has been born. We have seen the star that marked his birth. And the religious leaders have their first opportunity to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. However, as we will continue to see in this story and the entire narrative of Jesus' life, the vast majority of them, the religious leaders, were not interested at all in worshiping God. They had their systems and their powers established firmly, and they had forgotten God in their tradition and religion. Just like the series Daniel talked about that we just finished. They had forgotten God. It wasn't that they didn't remember him mentally, but it was that their knowledge of him in their heads was not connecting with the knowledge of him in their hearts. So they were practicing something mentally, but they were not worshiping him wholeheartedly. They had forgotten God. We often think of the star, um, if you close your eyes and picture a, a nativity uh, or the, a, a movie where the wise men are coming from the east, you picture the star that's floating in the sky from their homelands all the way resting above the stable where Jesus was born. This doesn't seem to be the case, though, if you read this. The star appears for a time, and having believed this to be a sign from the true God, the wise men, when they saw the star, packed up all their things and headed for Jerusalem for answers because they knew that Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish world. They knew Jerusalem was the one, was the city from whom all of those people generations before in Babylon had been taken. So when the Messiah's coming, we see the star, let's go to Jerusalem. They showed great faith in seeking to worship God by traveling across this land, weeks journey to get to Jerusalem. This stands in stark contrast to what's about to happen when they encounter the Jewish leaders. So the wise men, they saw the star, they had faith, they packed up, and they left, and they went and traveled far and wide to find this Messiah. Had they been looking for the coming, had the religious leaders been looking for the coming king, though, they would have seen it clearly through their own words that they prophesied. You see, point number two is that Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. So it wasn't only that God announced Jesus as king, but also we know that Jesus is the king of kings because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. You see, not just anyone could claim, as Herod did, to be king of the Jews. There were prophecies that needed to be fulfilled in order to take on this title. God had used Israel's disobedience in the past to illuminate the truth through his messengers over the course of many generations. And the leaders knew these prophecies in their heads. But as we see in verse 3 and following of chapter 2, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. So the wise men make it to town. Herod hears that they're looking for this and he's troubled. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him, and they assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them, 
Herod inquires of the religious leaders where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. You see, they knew it in their heads. For it is written, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Rome had appointed Herod the Great to be the Jewish king, but this was political. The religious leaders of the day and even the regular common people living in Jerusalem knew that Herod was not their spiritual leader at all. He was not their king that they had been waiting for. They knew what was going on. The Roman government was oppressing them as they had been oppressed forever. But unlike many kings in the past, Herod wasn't terrible to them. Again, like I said, he built their, a lot of great things for them. They had jobs, right? They weren't terribly oppressed like in the days of Egypt. But still, the Roman government was in charge and they couldn't have the laws the way that they wanted them. He was not their true king. In order for Israel to welcome this Messiah, the king of kings, for whom they had waited for so long, the one who was going to save them, not only from their sins, but from all of their enemies, and to secure their land, and to secure peace and hope for them for eternity, in order for that to happen, they would have to see these prophecies come true. Matthew, the writer of this book that we're reading, is writing specifically to Jews. And he's trying to prove to them that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. And he makes a clear proof in this quoting of the religious leaders. He says, see, even the religious leaders of the day knew it. They quoted Micah 5, 2, that Jesus' birth was going to happen in Bethlehem. So he's born... The wise men come. Herod hears the news and is troubled. The religious leaders hear the news. They are troubled. They say, yeah, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And then, how does everyone respond? Point number three is that there are different responses to the king of kings. Three specific responses. You see, Herod was troubled because, like I said before, he was paranoid that his throne would be stripped from him. A little bit more about Herod. He was about 70 years old when this happened, and he was bedridden. Most people think he had a stomach illness, something that kept him in bed. He was dying, and he knew it. And these wise men, uh, like before with the star traveling through the sky being kind of a misnomer, um, the traditional nativity scene is kind of a misnomer for us as well because it gives us a distorted view of reality. These wise men were not three men traveling on camels with large sacks on their back coming into Jerusalem. You don't get to stand before the king, Herod the Great, when you come into town like that. No, no, no. These men had power where they were from. They had authority where they were from. And they traveled with a really deep entourage. They didn't come on camels, most likely. They were from Persia. They came on black stallion horses that were trained for war and speed. And they traveled many miles to get to this place. And when they came into Jerusalem, people said, um, Herod, there's a lot of really powerful people out here. You're going to need to take notice of this. 
they caught the attention of the king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not some fishing village by the sea. This is a capital city of a mighty empire. These men rode into town, and Herod lifted his eyes and said, what is going on? And when the first thing out of their mouth is, we are coming because the king of the Jews was born. Remember who they're talking to, right? Herod, the king of the Jews. Terrified that his throne might be overtaken on his deathbed at 70 years old, fresh off of having murdered his two sons and his mother. And now the king of the Jews has been born and he is troubled. He brings in the religious leaders. They are troubled as well. But Herod's response in verse 7 is very telling of the type of man he was. He summons, listen, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared in the sky for them. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, if that sounds a little bogus to you, that's because it was. Daniel actually is going to talk to us next week about how that was a big, fat lie. And Herod's real intentions were to perform a mass murder of everyone underneath the age that the time allotted, told by the wise men, accounted for. So he's plotting in his head, already. How can I make sure that this king of the Jews does not take me over? So we see that the wise men's response, uh, that Herod's response to the wise men first is hostility. Herod responded with hostility. He decided right away, I'm going to figure out how to eradicate this said king from the face of the planet. And he went to great measures to do so later in the chapter. Now, although it was clearly seen, most likely, the star did not catch the attention of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed that? The men who come seeking the Messiah were not from Jerusalem. They were not the religious leaders of the day. Although most scholars believe this star would have been visible everywhere this star that God appointed to mark the birth of Jesus. But what was their reaction? Herod was hostile. When Herod took this troubling news to the religious leaders, becoming hostile toward the threat of a new king, the chief priests and scribes were silent. Their inaction was staggering. We saw the religious leaders miss their first chance, remember, the star. That was their first chance to notice that something is happening here. But now, after giving direction to the wise men, he's in Bethlehem, that's where he should be born, that's what they tell him, they stand and watch as the foreigners travel away to Bethlehem to go seek their king. After giving direction about where the king had been born, they stand and watch. So Herod was hostile, and the religious leaders were indifferent. 
They suffered from the sin of indifference. They were not in it to worship Jesus. Had they been, they would have listened to the words coming out of their own mouths. But do you see how clearly this shows us that they had forgotten God? Their heads were on point. Herod calls you into your courts. Hey, where is this Messiah person supposed to be born? Oh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Bethlehem, 100%. Well, there's an entire host of mighty wise men from Persia here. They're going to go to Bethlehem because they say they saw the star and they're going to get him. And the religious leaders said, okay, go for it. They were indifferent. So we have hostility and we have indifference. But look at the third response, the good news. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose now went before them. So they followed the star from, not from Persia all the way to Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It goes before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Why would we sing a song like, bow down and worship him? A lesson learned from the wise men. Then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Like I said, that, that last verse there, we'll talk a lot about that last, uh, next week. How God next saves Jesus from this tyrannical king who's on a mission for blood. But this week, let us focus here on the response that the, three wise, or that the wise men gave. Finally, they reach their destination, and when they come to Bethlehem, they don't find baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph at the manger, in a stable. In fact, the star rests over a house, and they go in, and they find the family and the child Jesus, somewhere under two years old. They display their gifts as their response and as their reason for traveling. It's now made clear. Why did we come all this long way? It was to worship. Herod was hostile. The religious leaders were indifferent. But the wise men, these Gentiles from another land, came to worship. They bring him more than just physical gifts, though. That's usually what we focus on, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But when they come, they bring him more than that. They actually first bring him rejoicing, fourfold rejoicing. Did you catch that in there? Re- they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Can you imagine this scene? 
Noah, my middle son, does this thing. When he tells you that he loves you, or actually when he tells me that he loves me, he says, Dad, I love you so much. And that makes me feel so affirmed. Until he looks at Mom. And he says, Mom, I love you. So, 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 so much. However many so's he can get in that breath is what he says. And that's exactly what these wise men do. They don't just come and rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They loved him so, 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 so much. They didn't know what else to do except just keep rejoicing and rejoicing and rejoicing. And then they give him authority. It's hard for me to picture this, but picture a tiny house in a village. The traveling party of the wise men may have had more people in it than the entire population of Bethlehem. They roll into town. A star is sitting over the house from that poor couple who came in a couple of years ago during the census and didn't even have anywhere to be born. Can you imagine the rumors about Mary that had gone around Bethlehem, that tiny little village? That's the little boy that was born in the feeding trough. They go to that house There's a star on top of it. The men and women who used to gossip about that family are sitting back there going, what is going on over at Jesus of Nazareth's house? This party comes up. Apparently, they're throwing a really big party, somehow rejoicing exceedingly. I don't know if they had instruments. We don't know. But they were rejoicing fourfold. And then, all of a sudden, they fall on their face. These kings, these wise men, these rulers from another land, they bow down. And it's not Joseph standing before them, the grown man of the house. It's not Mary, the virgin who gave birth to a child. No, the waters have parted, and it's the toddler standing in the middle of this tiny house, wide-eyed, that they're bowing before, giving up. Kings don't bow. People with power and authority, they get bowed too. And here they are, dozens, maybe hundreds, bowing before the king the child, King Jesus. And finally, they did bring those physical gifts that we look at so often. The gold to signify Jesus as king. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense. Have you ever wondered why they brought frankincense? It was a spice used in worship by the high priest. It was to signify 
that Jesus is our high priest. Frankincense would be burned, much like we burn incense now, which represents the aroma of the prayers of the people rising to, the, to, to where God can smell them. And that aroma is pleasing to him. They bring this to this child, and they bring him myrrh. There's a lot of debate over why the myrrh was there, because it was used for many things. But many believe that the myrrh was brought to foreshadow, to show us that Christ would suffer and die. Myrrh was an embalming spice. It was used at burial. So they lay these there. These gifts are not meant to display that Jesus, our King, demands pomp and circumstance and, and wealthy people to give him gifts of great value. That's not the point. They're important to remind us as we look at the whole set of gifts that they brought. That we as true worshipers of Christ ascribe to him rejoicing, authority, humble submission, and sacrificial gifts. As we celebrate Advent this year, let us remember that Jesus appeared on the scene in Bethlehem, as we have just read. And this marked the beginning of what is called the Incarnation. God incarnated himself. That means to take on flesh. He took on flesh in order to transform the world so that all of history would be transformed. These kings and kingdoms that rise and fade like grass would pale in comparison to the one true king of kings who lasts forever. God used his power over creation to announce this. And Jesus then fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in order to establish himself as the one true king. And finally, when God's people were busy seeking themselves, God used a bunch of foreigners from Persia, unclean Gentiles, to be among the first to humble themselves before the king of kings. Can you picture with me Jesus growing up with these gifts in his house? Have you ever thought about that? A little stack of gold, a little bundle of frankincense, and a bag of myrrh. We don't know if they were in his room, if he even had a room, on the mantle, kept somewhere safe, but they were there. Picture the stories Mary and Joseph must have told Jesus growing up. Talk about a bedtime story. So yeah, one time we were standing in the house, it was dark, we were getting ready for bed, you were being a little punk because you're two and you were throwing a tantrum and all of a sudden a star sat over our house and lit up the whole entire place. And then horses started coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And at one point there were dozens of people in front of our house them telling him this story. And although he was God in the flesh, and although he received all this praise and adoration and, and knew about it, he knew about those gifts. He had been told those stories. He must have. 
Jesus still humbled himself and washed people's feet? Talk about someone who could feel entitled. We feel pretty entitled, right? We have all these rights that we've proclaimed for ourselves. Jesus growing up with that atmosphere, how much of a temptation it must have been for him to feel entitled, for everyone to respond to him the way that the wise men from Persia did. Yet he's on his knees washing feet. He healed the poor. Not just the rich man, Jairus, and his daughter. He healed the poor woman, the outcast, the marginalized. He looked at her. And eventually, sacrificing himself on the cross, doesn't that just make all of those things seem more palpable and real? All of this, because as John says, he loved the world. He loved the world and the people in it so much that he gave of himself. He loved us so much that when he looks at me, Larry, this prideful, selfish, self-gratifying, blind man, seeking nothing but myself and my own desires, he sees me just like the religious leaders of the day. And in seeing me, he has mercy. He has compassion. He looks at me. He looks at you. Seeing you with your troubles, seeing you with your temptations, with your struggles. When he does, will I respond like Herod? With hostility? Who are you trying to take over my throne? I have rights, you know. I've pronounced myself king of Larry. Will I act with indifference? Well, I'm going to live, I'm going to die. Stuff happens. Or, with humility and honor and sacrifice. This Christmas season, remember, Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, the one sent from God for you and I to humble ourselves before in worship. Let's pray. God, you are good, and your mercies endure forever. You have mercy on the religious leaders who had indifference when they heard about your birth. You have mercy on those of us like Herod when we show hostility toward you, trying to take over our thrones and our kingdoms. God, thank you that your mercy endures forever. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Father, give us grace and give us faith like the faith of the wise men who saw you, saw the star you put in the sky and sought it with all of their heart. Give us faith like that to come, to bow down, and to worship you knowing that it is only there, 
on our knees that we can find freedom and forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus, the King of Kings. In his name we pray, amen.